was a freezing cold day, the first day of the year 2008, when something horrible happened in a nice, usually quiet Toronto neighborhood. Here, the city would record its first homicide of the year. A 14-year-old girl had been brutally stabbed to death outside some homes near O'Connor and St. Clair Avenue East. A chilling wind was sweeping through Parkview Hills, a pocket of residential homes, new builds, and post-war bungalows in East York, some backing onto a wooded ravine that cuts down the southern end of the neighborhood. Blood could be seen in the snow. It was the evening after the city rung in the new year and things were quiet. People were recovering from the night's revelry. There were very few police calls until a 14-year-old girl was lured from her home as she babysat her younger brother. A man out walking had found a girl lying in a snowbank, bleeding profusely, crying for her mom as she gasped her last breaths on that dark, cold winter evening. The victim was found lying on the sidewalk. It would not be long before police would identify her. Stephanie Rangel was stabbed six times and left to die in a snowbank on a street near her home. I'm Austin Delaney, and for 30-plus years, I have covered crime and the court cases that followed for CTV News. On this day, I meet up with CP24's crime analyst Steve Ryan, a former detective sergeant with Toronto's Homicide Squad. Stephanie Rangel was his case. So Steve, take me back to that day. You're on call? I was on call that day, and uh, it was New Year's Day, 2008. It was during the evening time, got a call just after 7.30 p.m. advising that a 14-year-old girl had been stabbed to death here in East York off of uh, Northdale Boulevard. And I was told that her parents were uh, Toronto police officers. Stephanie Rangel, the daughter of two cops in the tight-knit Toronto police family brutally stabbed and left for dead, just a few meters from the family home. How could this be, recalls Ryan? This kind of violence did not happen to a police officer's family. Right away my heart sank because now this being a, 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 a victim of murder it's now crept into a police family. And most police families raise their kids the same way that I would. And it's, it opens your eyes to the possibilities at that point in time that it happened to anybody at any time at any place. And that was a real eye-opener. It is a day the former detective won't soon forget, not just because the daughter of one of their own had been killed, but the eeriness of that evening, arriving at the crime scene, the cold, the bitter cold, that quickly crept into the investigator's bones. So you come here, what do you see? Well, it was, I remember, it was the coldest day of, uh, in a long time, and it was bitterly cold. The snow was, it, it, it seemed at the time to be 10 feet high. It was one of the coldest and snowiest winters Toronto had seen in a long time. That particular day, when inside Rengel's house, the phone rang. and the 14-year-old girl would be lured away from the warmth and comfort of her home. Stephanie had received a phone call 
around 7.30 p.m. from a guy identifying himself as Steve. Now, she did know a guy named Steve who was around her age. She didn't believe it was him, and she was, Stephanie was home babysitting her, her younger brother, and she said to her brother, I'll be right back. But it would be the last time she would speak to her brother, the last time he would see a sister alive. She grabbed her coat, she's still in very light clothing, and she ran out to meet Steve, or whoever it was calling her, and it was uh, David Bagshaw, and Bagshaw just blitzed her. He stabbed her multiple, multiple times and left her in the snow. Did he say anything to her? No, no, he said. She doesn't know why she's being killed. No idea at all. She was left by herself, a passerby, God bless him, a guy came by and uh, stayed with Stephanie until her, her, her last breath. He talked to her. Um, he testified in court with very powerful evidence in court. He was the last person to see her alive. So you know, the family certainly gravitated towards him because he was he had all the answers as to her last her last moments. And she was, you could hear on the 911 call that she's calling for her mom. She was calling for her mom, yeah. Yeah, she was calling for her mom. She was cold. And uh, this guy helped her. This passerby helped her, held her hand until paramedics uh, arrived on scene. Um, but, but she succumbed to the multiple uh, stab wounds that she had. Stephanie's mother, Patricia, also had some answers after she found out her young girl had been murdered outside their quiet home. She had a hunch who was behind this senseless act of extreme, unprovoked violence. And being a police officer herself, she jumped into action. Okay, so now you've got this 14-year-old girl. She's dead. Where does your investigation lead you? So I have my uh, partner meet me at 54 Division, because this is the division where the uh, murder happened in. And Patricia showed up at the uh, police station. Patricia, that's Stephanie's mom. Uh, Stephanie's mom and her dad, her stepdad, showed up at the police station. And remarkably, uh, Patricia insisted that she provide us with an interview that night because she had information. Like this is a woman who's just lost her child and just so stoic, so matter of fact with this information is important, you need to know what I know. And she provided us with a statement. Homicide investigators would soon learn a name. In fact, two names. A 17-year-old boy who had been acting in a peculiar manner with Stephanie. His name was David Bagshaw. His girlfriend was a 14-year-old girl by the name of Melissa Todorovich. A curious tale of sexual manipulation and murder was about to unfold. What we learned was that Bagshaw tried in the past, according to him, um, to make it look like he was trying to kill Stephanie prior. Melissa Todorovic was his girlfriend who set this whole thing up. She wanted him to kill Stephanie she was jealous of her. She never met her. She knew nothing about her. But this 14-year-old killer wanted this 14-year-old girl dead because in her mind she felt inferior uh, to her. So Bagshaw did show up at Stephanie's place weeks before the murder, or perhaps a bit longer than that, and said, if Melissa calls, tell her I was here and I tried to kill you, but I got scared and I ran away, basically.
Stephanie immediately told her mom this bizarre story from David Bagshaw, a 17-year-old boy from the local high school. Well, Patricia was having nothing, uh, none of that, so she went over to Bagshaw's house and read him and his mother the riot act and basically said, like, enough, this is nonsense, stop this. And that's how she dealt with that at the time, but it never stopped. Bagshaw, police would learn after the murder, would stake out the Wrangell home, lying in wait for Stephanie to appear, waiting for an opportunity to kill the teen. I spoke with a witness afterwards who saw Bagshaw right here on the uh, boulevard. Now, there was more trees here, and she saw him for hours on a cold boxing day, I guess in 2000. And uh, just staking out the just house. staking out the house, just waiting and Stephanie was with her family at the time, so she never came out, but Bagshaw was there for hours. And it was after he was arrested when this neighbor saw the picture weeks later and said, that's the same kid that I saw outside uh, looking, looking south on the street. Just a kid waiting to commit the most serious of crimes, a planned and deliberate murder, first degree. But in the early stages of the investigation, a key clue to who did this to Stephanie got lost in translation. Stephanie, in her last words, said to the guy that was with her, who stopped to, to help her, that David uh, Bagshaw did this, but the guy heard David Beggs, B-E-G-G-S. So we had Beggs as the name. And then when we put that to Patricia, she thought, Beggs, it's Bagshaw. His girlfriend is Miss L Melissa Todorovic. So that's what we call Melissa in. Stephanie Rangel was born in the internet age, and today that is where she was being remembered by friends and family, on a Facebook memorial site. By all accounts, liked and loved by everyone who crossed paths with her. She was like the nicest person in the world. You could have been mean to her, and she still would have like been the nicest person to you. She didn't care. Except one person. Basically, all I've heard about her is that she had like a major hatred for Stephanie for some odd reason. She just did. The person was Melissa Todorovich. So after Patricia provided us with the information, we called Melissa Todorovic in as a witness. Detective Sanson badge 4660, the homicide squad. With me is uh, Detective Sergeant uh, Steve Ryan, badge 6813, also the homicide squad. Police bring in Bagshaw's girlfriend for questioning as a possible witness. And you were born in 1992, January 7th. Melissa Todorovich is just 14 years old and sits on a couch next to her mother in a small windowless police interview room. And mom, it's Rachel, R-A-C-H-E-L. Her arms are crossed, a scowl on her face, appearing to look like she would rather be any other place than here at 54 Division Police Station, talking to homicide investigators. Again, by way of background, uh, we are investigating a homicide which occurred on the 1st of uh, January 2008. It is now the evening of January 2nd. This would be the second time Melissa would be brought in for questioning that day. The first round of questioning about her boyfriend as a witness in this murder case would leave the two seasoned cops 
with their jaws on the ground. They could not believe the words that came out of Melissa's mouth. During that interview, um, my partner at the time asked her, would it be fair to say that you set this up? And she said, yes. I'm paraphrasing now, but yeah, I wanted her dead. And her mom tried to shut her up at that point and say, Melissa, what are you, what are you saying? And she's like, mom, they asked me basically and I, I wanted her dead and I'm glad she is. So we stopped the interview because now she's a suspect. Now she's going to be arrested for being party to this murder. So we stopped it. We told her not to talk anymore because anything else she said at that point would be inadmissible and we may lose the entire statement. So Melissa was cuffed and led down to the holding cells at the police station while the homicide investigators regrouped. This was not what anyone was expecting from this girl. Hours later, the cops would bring her back up, seeking a confession, now as a murder suspect. And originally you came in with your mother um, a few hours ago and we were interviewing you as a, what we thought was a witness. Some of the answers that you gave and, and your mannerism too, made us think that we should stop that interview uh, as a witness. And at that time you were actually arrested for what we felt was participating in that homicide. And you were paraded in front of the staff sergeant, you were put in a room and, and I got a duty counsel lawyer for you to speak with us. Is this all correct? Yeah. Okay. Mom left the station shortly after that. Um, and then you requested to have your mother brought back. And so she came back in and I've spoken to you and now here we sit and we want to further investigate this homicide. Uh, there is also another person under arrest for this homicide, and his name is David Bagshaw. The investigators want more detail, but because Todorovich is just 14, the police must be mindful to carefully follow the rules of law pertaining to a minor under questioning for fear of having this interview thrown out of court. You are slash maybe charged with First degree murder. She says nothing. It doesn't mean you will be. It means that's what you're under arrest for. That's what you're under arrest for. That's what you're being investigated for. That is the, the highest stake of what may happen here. Okay? Okay. Do you understand the charge? Yeah. The stakes are very high. The 14-year-old's liberty now hangs in the balance. You may have to go to court, and if a judge finds you guilty of the charge, you will be sentenced, which could include going to a detention center. Do you understand? Her mother sits on the couch in her winter coat, arms crossed, some two feet apart from her daughter, in stunned silence. How, how are you, Marks? Very good. Yeah. She's pretty smart, Mom. Very smart. Very smart. But not smart enough to fool these seasoned cops who have stumbled onto the mastermind behind the brutal murder of Stephanie Rangel, Todorovich's perceived love rival. 
if you decide to make a statement here now, you can stop at any time and say, all right, I want to talk to a lawyer, or I want to talk to a parent, I want to talk to an adult relative, or I want to talk to an appropriate Sort of that list of people that you can, that go-to people for as a young person, right? Okay. Uh, at any time, you can stop and ask for one of those people. Okay? The detectives cross their I's and dot their T's. Everything must be perfect if they can get a confession that she is behind the dreadful murder. Getting statements into evidence for a kid that stole a Snickers bar is almost impossible, let alone a, a murder charge. The relevant questioning has begun. Melissa telling detectives Stephanie had been spreading false rumors about her. She is now crying, her mom comforting her daughter with her hand on her shoulder. Ryan's partner digs deeper. When did she start spreading those rumors? I guess a month ago. A month ago. And did you say anything to... I haven't talked to her since I talked to her about two months ago. Steve Ryan sits to the right, across a coffee table. His legs crossed, notepad and pen in hand. The detectives want Melissa to talk about what she told her boyfriend to do. A couple of months ago when she started saying these things that you were going and doing these things to the boys. Did you say anything? Last week. Oh, last week. Okay, sorry, last week. Did you say anything to David about that? Yeah. What did you tell him? I told him that she's spreading rumors about me. Okay. Was there any more talk about her being killed? There's just the general feeling that I don't like her. And I wanted her dead from earlier. Okay. And so then when he said to you, I'm, I'm going over, uh, uh, last night I'm going over to Stephanie's house. Was he specific about why he was going there? I think he was going to kill her. And what made you think that? I think he remember exactly what he told you? No. Did he say how he was going to do it? He said he brought a knife. The police hear that Melissa and David exchanged several phone calls before and after the murder. You're on the phone with him. He says, I see her and he hangs up. It's the very next time you talk to him. I called him. No, I text messaged him saying, where are you? And then we called him because he didn't answer my text message. Right. And then he said he was at Steve Alright. Do you know what happened to this knife? I think it, he just threw it or something. What makes you think that? Did he tell you anything, Mom? Yeah. About the knife? Yeah, he told me he threw it. There is a loud clap of roaring thunder above us. We are back at the neighborhood and talk on Stephanie's street. Rain suddenly begins to pour down on us. We open our umbrellas. Let's go to where the body was, where the, where the crime scene is. Okay. Where is that? Right here on the corner, not too far from 
where Stephanie lived. And again, it was such a cold January night. Uh, it was dark, the snow, in my memory, was 10 feet high, just piles of snow. And uh, that's where that bastard left her, was in the snow uh, to die beside a stranger. Thankfully, a man stopped to, to assist her. And the murder weapon, was it there? No, murder weapon was not there, and we didn't find it for, I think, a couple of weeks because there was so much snow. We, it was record snow that had fallen. Another crack of thunder rolls across the dark, ominous sky, and the rain becomes ever so more intense. Pelting down on us now as we chat by the murder scene at the side of the boulevard. Several weeks after Stephanie's murder, Ryan tells me police still had not found the murder weapon. He explains how this crucial piece of evidence was still missing, that when found, they would harvest the killer's DNA. I came out of my son's hockey game uh, one day, about two weeks after this investigation started, and the snow had all melted. It was just a, one of those freaky, warm uh, days. So I had a, a search team come out here, search all the backyards, and within five minutes, they found the, the knife. He had thrown it, just thrown it into a backyard. It landed, blade first in the snow, and actually stuck into uh, the ground. So when the snow melted, you just had the knife sticking out on the ground. And uh, we found our murder weapon. And that's a good piece of evidence, right? Oh, it's a great piece of evidence because it's got uh, DNA on it and it could have uh, fingerprints on it as well. So it was, it was a good uh, piece of evidence to find. Back in the division interview room, the homicide detectives are slowly getting a clearer picture of how this happened. I just get the impression that, that you disliked Steph, Stephanie far more than he disliked her. This idea of going to killing, uh, killing Stephanie might have been more your idea than his idea. Is, am, I, am I accurate? Yeah. Okay. Do you think that he would have gone and killed her on his own without any of your dislike for her, you know? Did he ever talk about going and killing her even before you had the idea that it would be nice to see her dead? No? Do you feel at all responsible for, for what happened? She says, yeah, I wanted her dead. What, what do you think? What happens to you? Well, my, so I said this in court uh, as I was testifying. I testified for about three days. It was, uh, wow, it was a tough time. Back courtroom, you certainly don't want to screw things up. Everything's got to be, there's no do-overs. Everything is perfect that, has, that comes out of your mouth. The state comes out, that could be the end of your, 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 your statement. So I said in court that when she said that, the hair on the back of my neck literally stood up and Marshall Sack was the defense counsel at the time, he's since passed. Just one of the best cross-examiners you could ever, ever um, be cross-examined by. And he kind of tried to belittle that point because it was a strong point for the jury and I was able to say to him, don't belittle it. It was a, it was a big moment for me because I actually felt the, the horror of what this 
young woman was, was, was saying to us. Todorovic's mom had been sitting next to her daughter in shock silence during the police interview as her own flesh and blood confessed to her role in this brutal murder. Detective Sergeant Steve Ryan wants just a little more evidence for this murder case and leans in with his own questions about the knife. Tell me again what he told you about the knife. He said he had a knife. And what else did he say? He had an eight-inch blade. Okay, so he phones you and he says, I have a knife with an eight-inch blade and I'm going to set me some. What was your response to that? if you want to kill her, kill her, hang in the air. Melissa's mom jumps in, seemingly asking her daughter if she heard right. Did she say that, those words? She said, do whatever you want. Well, that's not, if you want to kill her, kill her. You said, what did I mean? You talked about her mother with her in the interview room. What was her reaction when Melissa said, yeah, I wanted him dead? Okay. Complete and utter surprise, shock. She actually challenged her daughter and said, do you realize what you were saying? And Melissa turned to her mom and basically said, again, I'm paraphrasing, yes, I wanted her dead. She disrespected me. I'm glad, basically, that uh, this has been done. Why did she want her dead? We still don't know. She was, she was, uh, she was jealous of Stephanie. She never met her. But David Bagshaw and Stephanie, when they were kids, kind of hung out together, boyfriend, girlfriend, they were just children. But Melissa couldn't get over that. And in, in her mind, Stephanie was a threat, which is ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. But in her mind, she was a threat, and that's why she ordered the, the hit, basically, is what she did. Ryan continues his line of questioning, slowly and patiently drawing detail after detail out of the 14-year-old murder suspect. It was a part of you that was relieved that finally I wouldn't have to deal with it anymore. Finally, he's taking care of this. Yes? Yes. You said you wouldn't have to deal with it anymore. Deal with what? People telling me that he's cheating on me with them. And that she spreads rumors about him. I never did anything to her. She doesn't even know me. Melissa's mom's hand covers her face in disbelief at what she's hearing from her daughter. Under Ryan's questioning, Melissa seemingly cannot help herself. When he was going over to her house, when he called your city, he was going over there, you had to have known that he was going over to cause harm to her. You... Yeah, because he told me. Right. And you believe that to be the case. Because suggest this, that you would not have sought home for one minute, believing that he was going to Stephanie's house, to be alone to talk to her. That would have just driven you crazy, correct? I didn't think he was going to just talk to her. You thought he was going to go stab or kill her? Or I harm her? I didn't think he was going to stab her until he told me about the home. But even though I didn't think he was going to stab her. What did you think he was going to do? Like just go there and then walk back home. 
She tells the detective she didn't think the victim would come out of the house. You had an idea that he was going over to kill her or to hurt her. Well, when he told me about the knife, yeah. yeah. Okay. There's no other reason why someone would go to someone's house with a knife. And he did that for you. He did that so you would not stop having these dreams and hearing all these rumors. Last question. You told Tim this morning at 10 o'clock, yesterday morning at 10 o'clock, that he wanted her dead. What was his response? Can't you just forget about it? What did you say to that? I said no. Bagshaw had asked his girlfriend just to forget about killing Stephanie, but Melissa could not. She was obsessed. She wanted her dead. Now, both would face first-degree murder charges in the planned killing a 14-year-old Stephanie Rangel. The two accused teens were taken from an East End Police Division and brought here to Youth Court on Jarvis Street. He was wearing a plaid shirt and jeans. She was wearing jeans and a winter parka. Both looked disheveled and nervous when they appeared before the judge. What did she think? What did she say when you arrest her for murder? And because and I think as, as far as she's concerned, her boyfriend did it. Her boyfriend did it. She had zero remorse. She was glad it happened. She did not like her. Um, she did not hesitate to tell us just how happy she was that this, in fact, happened. Now, there was more that we learned afterwards with regards to um, what she did to, to make sure that, in fact, Bagshaw was telling the truth. Telling the truth to Melissa about whether he had followed through right after he killed her. Melissa was not satisfied with just her boyfriend's word. When Stephanie was in the snow, Melissa called her cell phone to make sure that she didn't answer. And she didn't answer, of course, but she called her cell phone. Because she's dead. Because she's dead, oh, yeah, and she, she wanted to make sure. And now that the ugly deed was done, the innocent young life taken, the 17-year-old high school student with the knife and the killer instinct wanted what was promised to him by his girlfriend if he followed through and killed her perceived rival. And then Bagshaw, David Bagshaw, went to Melissa's house and uh, they had sex. They reenacted the scene. Melissa pretended to be uh, Stephanie in that reenactment. It was the most horrific, bizarre, gut-wrenching thing that uh, you could ever imagine. Uh, just pure evil. Like, it was just, just how it was just a matter of fact with all of the details. With this little girl dead. I, how, did, how does it... When, when, you, when you're talking to Melissa, she's 14. She's 14, yeah. She's just a teenager. Yeah. And how is it that a mind is thinking like that? Exactly. That's what makes her, uh, in my opinion, as dangerous um, a person as there is. A psychiatric report filed with the court found that Todorovic exhibits a borderline personality organization disorder, and she exhibits a character flaw that the judge called frightening. Justice Ian Nordheimer ruled, the facts are unprecedented. The concept that teenage angst becomes the driving force for murder leaves one both shocked and incredulous. The uh, psychiatrist who testified on behalf of the Crown said that any other guys that Melissa gets involved with in the future, their lives are in danger because of her um, 
just overbearing way with no with no emotion. David Bagshaw was found guilty of first degree murder and sentenced as an adult to life with no chance of parole for 10 years. The maximum for the 17 year old just days shy of his 18th birthday when Stephanie was killed. Todorovic was found guilty of second degree murder and sentenced to life as an adult with no chance of parole for seven years, the maximum for the team. Take me back to the courtroom when she's convicted. Wow, well, I remember that day very well. Um, I remember standing and the jury came in, they said they had a verdict and my knees buckled, they literally buckled because I was just so afraid that we were gonna lose this uh, murder charge for Patricia, for her family. And uh, then the jury came back with a uh, guilty verdict on murder. Yeah, I thought it was going to be sick. Like, my knees literally buckled. I held onto the table, and it kind of sat down, acting all calm and cool. But, man, I was dying inside. And what was she doing? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Her mom showed more emotion than, than she did. Her actions described as calculated deception by the parole board. Melissa Todorovic had been in a love triangle with two ex-cons while out on day parole, a clear violation of her release conditions. Granted parole, it would soon be revoked. Her actions, just as the psychiatrist had predicted at her trial. Her parole officer told the hearing at the Grand Valley Institution for Women that Todorovic appeared to be manipulating the two men against one another. I've always concerned about her, Melissa's, knowledge of uh, sexuality at 14. It always struck me, and I never got down to the bottom as to how she learned that or why she was so, or why she, she um, acted as if she was so promiscuous as a 14-year-old. I always wondered where that came from. Or powerful, to power. use that sex as power exactly. over David, a 17-year-old boy. Exactly, and, that, and that's what I did not understand, was how does a 14-year-old child know how to manipulate the whole act of sex with a 17-year-old boy and hold it over his head and make him do what you want. And in fact, in court, the judge, uh, when this was all said and done and they were getting into the sentencing, said that yes, Bagshaw was the uh, actual stabber. He was the puppet. He said Melissa was the puppeteer. And I thought that was so well put because without the puppeteer, the puppet doesn't move. And Bagshaw would never have done this. I can tell you that right now. He would never have done this but now he's spending the rest of his life in jail as well. I'm Austin Delaney. Thanks for listening.